Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I appreciate so much David being here uh, and Char and um, if you if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, Peyton is writing a new book. It's called How to Have a Family in Six Months or Less. So should be coming out. It's going to be a bestseller and doing it during a pandemic. It's really impressive. It's really impressive. But congratulations. I've known for a little while, but I'm having to be sworn to secrecy and all that stuff, and which is really not my strong point. But anyway, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You know, here we are, we are, I mean, we are right in the midst of the college football season. This is exciting if you were raised in the South. And I don't believe there's any fiercer rivalry than Alabama and Auburn. And I don't say that in a good way as well, because it's very intense. There is a real hatred. There, there are some things at times that are just absolutely terrible 2010 is one of those. Cam Newton was the quarterback at Auburn that particular year. And there was the whole, you know, uh, you know, scandal around him being paid by going to Auburn. And, and there were interviews with people who may, said this kind of stuff happened. His dad, who's a preacher, you know, their, their church was uh, almost to the point of foreclosure. And all of a sudden he signs with Auburn and an anonymous donor, you know, they catch them all up and everything else. And there's just this hatred. And, and you know, the NCAA, they didn't do anything. And they said, well, yeah, it's there, but we don't know if Cam really knew anything about it. And so the, the rivalry just picked up even more so. And then the worst happened. This guy who we didn't believe should even be playing, he beat us. He beat us. How dare he? Right? How dare he beat us? And to really make it worse, an Auburn fan put a Cam Newton jersey on the statue of Bear Bryant. We could talk about idol worship, but we're not, that's not one of our topics today. But then comes this guy named Harvey Updike. He is an Alabama super fan, although many of us would refer to him as something a little bit different. He named his children Bear Bryant and Crimson Tide Updike. I kid you not, this is not a joke. Uh, and to, so when all of this stuff was happening, he decided that he was going to get Auburn back by poisoning their 80-year-old oak trees at Toomer's Corner. This is the place they go and celebrate because typical of Auburn, they celebrate with toilet paper and they throw it up into the trees. And so, but the really sad part is, seriously, is that he poured over 500 times the amount of herbicide that is needed in order to kill those trees. He even called a talk sports show and he bragged about it. He left a message on 
uh, for a, an Auburn professor saying that he knew who had killed those trees. It is a Class C felony. He spent six months in jail, five years of um, supervised probation, which I think was probably not enough. He was to pay off um, restitution of $800,000. Auburn banned him from ever coming on their campus. The University of Alabama banned him from ever coming on their campus as well. And you're just like, what? Why? How does this even happen? Later on in an interview with CBS News, this is what he said. He said, I wanted Auburn people to hate me as much as I hated them. Well, success. Uh, I just don't like Auburn. I can't argue with that. But anyway, you know, there are several things in this world that I really and truly don't like, and Auburn is one of them. And to show you just how this craziness is, this is all premeditated. He went on and said, every night I'd stay up all night alone. And they used to have cameras on the trees. And I figured out when the slowest time, what day of the week and what time, what out of the night was the slowest around those oak trees so I could go in, go in there and at that time, at that time and not get caught. He died in July unremorseful. He paid $6,900 of the $800,000 that he was supposed to pay. And it's easy for us, even us Alabama fans, to look at this and think, this guy is absolutely bat crazy, right? This guy is, is vile. But Jesus, Jesus is going to challenge us, the rest of us today. Those of us who would say, oh, I would never do that. Who would dare do that? What an awful person. And Jesus is going to come in here and he's going to say some things to us that's going to make us really uncomfortable. In fact, one of the most uncomfortable statements that any of us can ever hear is what Jesus has repeated through this, and it's, which is, for you have heard, and then he says, but I tell you. I know what you've heard in your religious life growing up, but I'm telling you, you learned some things that were not right. There's some things that you need to know and understand about the very purpose of God. And this time he is dealing with this other law of God, what is known as the law talionis, which is the law of retribution. And you can find it in Deuteronomy 19, verse 21 to be an example. You know, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, so forth. The law was uh, at that time, though, was being abused for personal revenge upon people. And that was not the intent of that law. It was to guide the courts. It was actually to discourage private revenge, according to Proverbs chapter 24. They were to allow these governing authorities to, to make the right, just decisions. And then they, that left them open to live a life of service and, and love for their neighbor. Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And folks, that, that is what Jesus is trying to teach them. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, but what if those courts did not do what is right? What if they don't do what is just? Have we heard anything about that over the last few months? It's been going on even before then, but, you know, when you're in quarantine, you hear even more so, right? 
And it's like, you know, you hear about this and, and we're not going to get into, you know, these different cases today and say, you know, okay, well, this is what would be just or this is what would be just. The fact of the matter is probably several of us good Christian people, we could sit down together and we could say this is, would be the just thing to do and we might disagree. So what Jesus does is he says, look, I'm going to take that off of you. What I want you to know is how you respond. Is how you respond when things aren't just. And if you think that it's difficult in our day and time today, and, and a lot of people do, they think this is the worst time in history. Listen, you should live as a Jew in the first century Palestine. Because they were under Roman occupation. Imagine us being under, here living in the United States, but we are under the rule of China. Or we are under the rule of Russia. We don't vote out, or they didn't vote out, Caesars they didn't like. They didn't vote out senators and governors. They could not go out and create a scene in order to have police reform. You didn't hear those things. So personal retaliation through violent resistance was the big issue of the day. There was actually a group called the Zealots. These zealots, they, they would carry daggers in their clothing so that they could kill people that they felt like were either traitors or were a part of, of this occupation. We hear a lot today about vigilante groups, don't we? Just this last week, this last week, you hear about the governor of Michigan and this plot by a vigilante group that were going to come in and kidnap her, possibly even kill her. And it's a vigilante group I'd not even heard of before. And we see these vigilante groups, you know, whether it be a portion of the Black Lives Matter or Antifa or Proud Boys or Boogaloo, all of these things. And guess what? Both sides feel like in their retaliation and doing things that are destructive and harmful, they feel like that they are doing what is right. Both sides. And most of us in here, I doubt very seriously, would ever join a vigilante group. But Jesus says we as disciples are to take opportunities of people that we feel like have done us in an unjust way and to serve them and to do good to them. That we must always be willing to even be abused if we can think of ways that we can advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. Because that's what it's about. In verse 39, Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to him to the left also. Now, this has to do with an insult. You're lucky we're having to social distance. I was going to bring someone up here and demonstrate this, right? But seriously, the, uh, under the, the Jewish law, it was a double fine to slap someone with a backhand across the, left, the right cheek. Uh, rather than a blow... To, because it was considered, so Jesus wants to know, are you going to respond to an insult with insult? If someone slapped Missy or my kids, now that's going to have a different response from me. You know, and I'm not even going to say that I'm going to respond perfectly in that, but I can tell you this, if somebody messes with my family, there's going to be a response. Okay. Jesus, if you notice here, he's wanting to know what you will do when your personal rights are at stake. 
What will you do when you are insulted or sued or forced to do something you're not, you didn't want to do? There was one congregation that I preached for um, that as soon as I started there, they had this small group of people and they did not like me. I mean, from the day, day one or actually before I ever arrived. And it's because I replaced the preacher that they loved and he was still there and he was also a part of this group, which they called the McDonald's group because they went to McDonald's every Sunday night after church, and I learned they are slicing me up. There was one particular one in that group that every time I got up to preach and started preaching, he would get up, and he would be about where Sonia is sitting here, and he would stand up, and he would walk out of the building. He didn't do it for the song before the sermon. He didn't do it as I was walking up. He waited until I started preaching and then he got up because he wanted to make sure that everyone knew. I remember one night, it was a Wednesday night devotional and, and I was reading out of the New King James and, and I used the word you as I was reading like New King James does and he yells out, ye. I said, you. He said, ye. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't always handle these things well. I really didn't. And Jesus is saying to me, listen, this guy, he's insulting you in front of everybody. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle this? How are you going to handle it if you're in a crowd and your spouse says something that you find embarrassing? I mean, do you want to get them back right then? Uh, or maybe you're at school and, and you know, you've got that, uh, you, that one kid and he's always, you know, belittling you, making fun of you in front of the rest of the group. I mean, do you want to, you know, retaliate in that? Or, or maybe it's in your job and it's that one person that's in the office or wherever it is that you may work and they're always putting you down in front of everybody else, making you out to be kind of like the dummy in the office. You know what I mean? How do you respond to those things? And it's natural, a natural instinct for us is to retaliate. But children of the kingdom of God, we are called to endure. Because that's what love does. It frees us from feeling the need to defend our honor. There is a freedom that we have to live selflessly. And this is what, it, what we mean when we say we have to surrender our entire lives to God. Our entire lives to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. Imagine being so upset that you would stay up all night long, no telling how many nights, just to determine when is the best time to go and poison your rival's trees. Does that sound like a person who has a lot of freedom? I mean, you know, as far as how they feel about things. Let me tell you something. Auburn's living rent-free in that guy's mind, right? And, and, and Jesus is trying to teach us a way that is going to free us rather than always feeling this way about things. He draws off, Paul draws off the teachings of Jesus. And he says in Romans 12, verse 17, he says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought, listen to this, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So in try, instead of trying to think about all the things that you could do to that person to get them back, he says that we are to think of ways that we can do good and admirable, positive things. 
Don't follow your natural instinct. The word thought means that we, we, we take time to sit and think about how we're going to do things rather than to do it just simply off the cuff. Did Jesus get angry? Yes, we've talked about that. And Jesus got angry. You say, yeah, yeah, he turned over the tables and all that kind of stuff. Yes, he did. But if you remember, it was what they were doing to his father's house. But when it came to him, when it came to what people were doing to him, things were different. Things were very different. He could have called 10,000 angels as we sang a moment ago, but he didn't. He died for you and me. The instinct of self-preservation. You may say, well, Jesus didn't didn't have it. Really? Read the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there's any way this can we this not to happen, let it, let it be done. But what does he do? Complete surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. He's brought before the, 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 you know, the high priest, and they're bringing in these, the, these, false, these false testimonies. And what does Jesus do? He's silent. He's silent. And what does he do? when they spit in his face and they slap him and they mock him. Silence. But Jesus does speak of this group when he's on the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. In 1 Peter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, was, uh, when, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Living this way is going to put you into a position of weakness and into humiliation, but you're also going to find it's going to provide for you opportunities to serve and love other people, and hopefully that they may come to see Christ. Romans 12 says, if possible. Now, what does that mean? If possible, that means it's not always possible. But he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. He says, I will repay. Okay, get that. He says, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus's humiliation and his death opened up a way to save the world. We went through the gospel of Mark. Do you remember the climax of the gospel of Mark? It was a centurion that is at the foot of the cross and he is the first, a Gentile, who says, This is the Son of God. He gives illustrations, Jesus does in our text, of what we can do for those who do evil towards us. One of those is found in verse 40. He says, look, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak also. And and the tunic was this inner garment. It was kind of like a nightshirt, if you will. Uh, The the cloak, though, that was uh, considered an essential. It was the outer coat. And, and even under the law, you could make these, um, 
Um, you could make a pledge to someone and by giving them your cloak, but even then they had to return it by sunset because the poor used them as a blanket for when they were sleeping. It was an essential part. So instead of, Jesus says, instead of seeking retaliation, give to a person who is unfairly attempting to take your most basic needs. And it is a freedom to no longer live a life where we feel like we're always having to protect our own rights and our own, our, our own possessions. And this is a challenge, is it? But the person who has died to themselves, they are more concerned that their worst enemy comes to know Jesus than they are in having their rights. Jesus is not saying you just let people run over you left and right. What we're talking about here is you making a conscious choice to bless someone who may deserve the opposite. That you're making the choice. Self-preservation, folks, is driven by fear, is it not? We are in an election year. You, have you heard? I don't know if you all know that. Um, there are commercials that they actually run occasionally. And what are these commercials all about? They want you to be afraid of that other candidate. It's, look at them, all of it. It's all about fear. And what happens if that person becomes the next president of the United States? If they do, then your very life, your very life and existence is at stake. That's what you see every single day. So what are we to do? We're to trust God. Don't live in fear because fear is where retaliation comes from. In the next chapter, Jesus is going to say, he's saying, look, don't be anxious for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. And he says, look, is life not more than these things? And yet, how many times have we placed the value of our possessions over the value of a human life? Life is defined by how we love. And love does not retaliate. In verse 41, Jesus says, well, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you go two miles. This is another one of those ancient practices. The government uh, personnel, they could requisition the help from any of its citizens, especially these oppressed Jews. And, and they could do it in a number of ways. And one of those was a soldier. He could tell a Jew, hey, you pick up my pack and you're going to carry it for a mile. And Jesus says, listen, when you get to the end of that mile, tell them, say, listen, I'll, I'll go ahead because that's all I'm required to do. But I'm going to go ahead and I want to take it another mile. Jesus is calling us out of the idea that my time is my own. We are his disciples. We are people who are to surrender to God. We are to see these times that we feel inconvenience when we feel like they just don't right to do that. We should see these as possible divine appointments and opportunities to do good. In verse 42, he says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And we're talking about people who are going to make you uncomfortable. 
right? You know, somebody wants to, you know, they come up and they want something. You know, well, what if they're really not poor? What if they're being dishonest? What if, you know what, uh, I've known this person for a little while, but what if I lend to them, but they never give back? Jesus is freeing disciples to live a generous life without judging other people on their merits. And Jesus is not asking us to do anything He wasn't willing to do. In fact, if you remember in Romans 5 and verse 8, He says, even while we were still sinners, He died for us. He gave everything. Our natural instinct is to to protect our personal Um, our personal interests, to protect ourselves. But Jesus says that our primary obligation is to serve people who are around us. Now, don't get me wrong. You can actually give and do more harm for that person. You know somebody's on drugs. You know that. You know these people or whatever it may be. You know, you don't need to give them money. You know, you don't need to go out and give everything that you've got and you end up in bankruptcy. You know, God does want us to use wisdom, right? He does want us to use wisdom. But what the principle, I believe, is being laid down here is that everything we have is a gift from God. And that we should be ready to utilize these gifts from God in order to, to spread God's kingdom. Every area of our lives, including these people that have done us wrong, every area of our lives are to be surrendered to God. Later on in in chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell us, here's what it means to be a disciple. He says, you've got to come after me and uh, by denying yourself. You see that? Deny self. And then he says, take up a cross. That's an instrument of pain and death. That means it's not going to be easy by denying yourself because he says, that's what you do if you're going to come and you're going to follow me. Folks, that's why our baptism, the baptism is a sacred rite of the believer. It represents this death of our old self and this resurrection of a new life. We come to the waters to renounce our self-centeredness so that we can become an instrument of righteousness. Retaliation, folks, is not righteous. He says that it is evil. It is returning evil for evil. This is what it means when we talk about surrendering. It is surrendering your life in every little moment of your life. It it can be instead of retaliating by that person who just cuts you off. Let me tell you something. I live off of 58th. If you go 58th north, and that's the way I come back to my house every day, 58th goes from two lanes and it merges into one lane. Guess what happens almost every day when I go 58? You got people that are flying in the merge lane. They're doing their best to cut you off, to get in front of you. Jesus might say that's an opportunity. Maybe that you want to choose to find a way to let people in. Or maybe it's going to a grocery store and they cut you off. You know, you're going up there and they see you and they rush up there to that lane. And you can yell at them and you can scream at them and you can complain under your breath. Or 
maybe you look at it and say, okay, you know what? This might be a good opportunity to do good. I'm going to pay for that person's groceries. That's not easy. And it takes a complete surrendering of our lives in order for it to happen. And what I'm talking about this morning is just setting you up for what Peyton's going to talk to you about next week in loving your enemies. We got to surrender. A complete surrender. 